Hey everybody, there are a ton of ways that you can follow us online. We've got our website, realnerdspodcast.com, that you can go to and you can read articles and find the podcast episodes there as well. If you like social media, you can follow us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us anytime and leave a voicemail at 720-6-NERDS-5 and then we'll play your voicemail on the show. Thanks for listening. I hope you like us. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Fan Expo 2022 and beyond. Uh, I am your host for this evening, Zach, uh, or morning or afternoon. Hell, you can listen to this shit whenever you want, uh, but I'm not alone. I'm joined, as always, by Brad. Yay! It's another Brad Zach episode, guys, so buckle in. It's going to be nothing but all the energy that one can muster in a single podcast. Yay. Um, yeah. Ryan's out doing work stuff and Corinne didn't want to be part of this episode, but she does have a downloaded uh, catch the classics to add. So wonderful. So remember all to right. name check that. And I believe Ryan will be sending his review. So mm-hmm. yeah. Which by the way, that. we, we saw we did that. Speaking of which we do see movies on this show each and every week, as you just alluded to. Uh, and this week we saw Prisoners of the Ghostland, the new Nicolas Cage uh, outing. So stay tuned for our review. Uh, we'll play the trailer for you uh, and then we'll spoil the shit out of it. And um, given our letterbox reviews, sir, I have a feeling you and I are going to differ on this movie. So uh, I know I, I really wish Ryan was here to back me up, um, <laughs> but I really wish Henry was here because he rated it so high. <laughs> really what did he rate it i didn't four even stars four star oh wow i yes. i gave it i gave it three so, so i really <laughs> yeah i really want to know henry's opinion because oh it's he, he's I a mean, tough tough customer so yeah he, he's a tough customer who amongst his favorite films is dunston checks in scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed <laughs> um we, but we love him we love him for that very reason um how you doing bud uh as i said earlier i'm going through some stuff <laughs> yeah the saga of the uh failing hard drives is a never-ending uphill battle uh, i understand yeah uh, it's it's a bunch of horse shit right there <laughs> uh it's just the second time in like four years that i'm dealing with this and yeah this uh, because um for listeners who may not remember uh the one of the hard drives containing a lot of the essential real nerd stuff failed uh four years ago so we are uh uh, I believe it's uh, we no longer have access to the raw files of the pod show, uh, which yep. definitely sucks. Uh, I think we have the first episode because that was like misplaced somewhere, fortunately. Uh, but everything else, yeah. Yeah. Gone. So basically, if we wanted to do a 4K master of it, we'd be screwed. So. And a lot of the episodes between like 2013 and 15, I think those mm-hmm. are all, you know, the the finals are out there for us to like repurpose but the original source stuff is gone so yeah so unfortunately this is a uh, dark day in real nerds history if we've got another hard drive uh failing on us so uh, but 
I am fairly sure that we will still continue onward and upward as we always have on the show. Um, have you been up to anything else besides that, Mr. Brad? Um, yeah, I, I took a bunch of photos from for the comedy festival a couple yeah. weekends ago, and I literally just finished editing them. It took, I guess, a week, an entire week, getting <laughs> through six thousand photos. Um, That's still pretty efficient for for six thousand photos in a week. That's not bad. Yeah, every week an hour have been cutting through them, finding the 80% that aren't even necessary and weeding those out and touching up the rest. So very good. Wonderful. I'm pretty over it right now. <laughs> <laughs> ready, to, ready to edit our episodes that have not come out yet. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Um, as for me, I've been, I've been fucking podcasting every which way, but fucking loose. So <laughs> I know you've been posting in like all kinds of it's Yeah. Seems like you're more invested in other people's shows than ours. Boom. What's up? Whoa, 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 whoa. Flagship <laughs> show always takes priority, sir. I, I I, will never leave the real nerds team until Ryan yells at me to leave. So um, I listened to I, years in uh, Zach's uh, team up with uh, Lloyd Kaufman. I was like, Lloyd Kaufman's never been on real nerds. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> you guys. I've had Timothy Quill. You guys have had George Ashanti. You guys have had several other uh, celebrity interviews. Isn't it but about not, time? Not in years, Zach. It's been yeah. years. Isn't it time that the Ballyhoo got itself a little bit of an uptick to get itself started, get its legs going, my friend? You know, <laughs> I'm just jerking around. You can, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it, that was a fun interview. Um, he he wants to come back apparently, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> so. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Definitely name drop the other show you're on at some point yeah i'll be just i'll just be like yeah sh- speaking of sh- has to hashtag shakespeare shitstorm uh my my podcast the real nerds podcast will be glad to review it for you you know which hey you know yeah. what maybe we should if we have a down week and whatnot maybe we should review the the latest trauma joint you know? the, uh, the main host isn't like a huge fan of yours but you know we'll uh <laughs> we'll have you yeah. on <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, it can be just be you, me, and uh, we'll bring Zach Bynes in. He's been wanting to come more on Real Nerds, so we'll get him on. We'll get him on board. It'll be fun. He's a uh, he's he's been very uh, appreciative of what the show did for him in quarantine. So you know, like that's that's a nice thing to keep. You don't need celebrity interviews, Brad. You've been warming the hearts of your friends. You know. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm way more happy that like people's creative endeavors inspire other people to do their mm-hmm. own so yeah this show didn't inspire me fuck you guys <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you didn't get inspired to make ballyhoo off of us no not at all yeah i was just like man these guys really hate black and white movies i better just uh, make a movie about loving black and white movies so that was the inspiration point your hatred uh, <laughs> i don't hate black and white movies i'm just over them <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it's just, just like that, bro. people are so obsessed with stuff that's like already been celebrated and already been like put up on a pedestal. And like, this is why we can't get new stuff. You're not welcome back to Bally. We can learn I, those I, lessons though, to make new stuff. That's the cool thing. Yeah. But I think people are hitting the nostalgia button way too much and just like too right. focused on like, did, did we, you know, did, did we analyze and, 
um, obsess over the old stuff enough before we move on. It's just like, just move on. Like the people who made that stuff didn't care about <laughs> what their work what was happening before them. Like they just uh, did it. I'll counter that with an argument that the eighties gets talked about way too much. You guys really love that decade way too much. <laughs> oh no. I, I, I just admitted, I was like, I hit that oh, okay, yeah. a lot. <laughs> oh, I thought um, you meant golden age Hollywood. I was like, <laughs> Oh, I guess it, I guess it's all encompassing. You know, yeah. I'm just like, talking about in general, like, like, I don't know in my lifetime, like right now, like across mm-hmm. the board, people are just like obsessed with the past. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Nostalgia is a definite, um, it's something that when we do Ballyhoo, I'm kind of like, you know, we, you know, do we need to talk about stuff in the past too much? But like my, my, my impetus for it is one, I'm passionate about that particular angle on it. But number two, we're, we're dealing with stuff that's generally non IP and also still to my mind still has a value to discuss, especially considering how a lot of uh, occurrences throughout history and time keep overlapping with each other. But also, again, you know, there's still lessons to be taught. And I'm hopefully we're not going through too many of the more established classics. We are trying to find some of those deeper threads. Like that's why I like our Batman episode, which I was re-listening to the other day was it's, it's just, you know, we're talking about a film that doesn't get talked about when it comes to the grand scheme of like uh golden age Hollywood or even like, the sixties going into the seventies. So, you know, hopefully we find some of our more uh, niche things, but yeah, in terms of like, I do feel like the, the, the eighties, the eighties in particular, I'm very burnt out on like nineties. Nostalgia is actually kind of like peaking my interest by comparison, but yeah, even like, then, I know. love it, but yeah, people are really mining the shit out of it right now. It's just like, ugh, you're just really desperate for, something new just seeing like what's the real the new thing not the well here's the question of something old here's the question is prisoners of the ghost land one of the new things you'll have to stay tuned for the rest of the review to find out um we do also talk about uh what we've been watching movie news blu-rays and dvds uh and i'm i'm not gonna lie guys one of the best things that the real nerds ever do is go around town brad what's going on around town Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Well, if you go to the drive-in, the 88 drive-in, they are still playing Candyman, Malignant, and Don't Breathe 2 in their lineup uh, going through Thursday, September 30th. So hopefully this podcast drops before then. (laughs) (laughs) Two two behind right now. It's pretty pretty bad. Um, And then the Holiday Twin is showing Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings, and they will be adding Venom, Let There Be Carnage this weekend. Very nice. Very cool. So there you go. We get a, we, we're we starting to feel the October breeze wafting in, my friend. And it seems like it's there's no double features, so it's just one, each of those movies on separate screens. So, yeah. Um, I... I I'm glad that the drive-in's still kicking around for at least October, so it means I've still got a chance to get up there. So that's what. Yeah, nice. I've only gone to each one once this year. It's yeah, pretty... I, I it's it's strange given that I now have a car. I uh, in the last two years I haven't gone to the drive-in yet, so I've got to rec- I've got to correct that shit. I know Brian I hasn't know. gone in four years that I've been doing this five years now. God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a kid. It might be difficult to keep him settled or something. I don't know. 
That's the best reason to go to the drive-in. You can just let your kid be wild and no one's going to like be disturbed by it. It's like in The Simpsons when Homer lets Chief Wiggum out of the car. Run along, boy. You're free now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the main um, reason to go to the drive-in is like you can just do whatever you want and not disturb other people. <laughs> um, and uh, 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 along there, if you want to go up to Boulder, too, by the way, for Dairy Arts Center, uh, Friday Night Weird, the uh, program hosted by a friend of the show, Jack Hanley. Uh, they'll be showing Knocking on October 8th at 8.30 p.m. with a $12 ticket price. Uh, Knocking is a film from Sweden. The plot is a woman, Molly, who has been, just experienced a traumatic incident, is unnerved by a haunting knocking sound from upstairs in her new apartment building. As the noises become more desperate and increasingly sound like cries for help, she confronts her neighbors, but it seems like no one else can hear them. In an unsettling quest for truth, Molly soon realizes that no one believes her and to and begins to question if she even believes herself, a realization that is perhaps even more chilling. What is going on? Stay tuned. And remember, folks, screenings are vaccinated only. So get your fucking vaccines. Thank you very much. Uh, and that's what's going on around town. I got a question. When yeah. the driving closes and I stop doing this segment, what are you going to do? Well, I've got Friday Night Weird, but also since the Shea Artiste has come back and we've also got TCM events coming around the range, uh, those are things that we can always uh, uh, promote as well. I know for a fact, and, um, because uh, Ryan sent me this info, is that uh, sometime within October, uh, Shea Artiste will be showing a one night only screening of the Boris Karloff documentary from Shout Factory. So uh, I will post more information about that as it gets closer. Yeah, I'd like to know where you got that because I couldn't find it. Uh, he sent me a direct, he sent me a little bit of a, uh, here, actually, why don't I just pull it up right now? Hold for information, please. Here we go. So, oh, guys, the same night as knocking, you have, you have a typical choice ahead of you. Cause on Friday, October 8th, you will be able to see at the landmark JRTs, Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. Uh, so get your tickets for that. If you'd like to go see a documentary about one of horror's great acting legends, um but yeah no yes it'll be friday um uh october 8th so if you want to go my friend i think yeah i am off that day question mark that's great you should be the 48 hour best of oh really well do you think we'll be seeing a certain superhero team grace the presence of the 48 hour i don't know they haven't announced the best of yet (laughs) oh no it's it's a week away. I don't know. Oh God, we need that information yesterday, my friends. I guess two but... weeks away, but still, it's like if it's if they don't announce it this week, I don't know how they're gonna expect people to show up <laughs> on short notice. Uh, well, you know what? They better get they, they better get that information up to us asap, my friend, because uh, I need to know if Justice Team has made it into the ranks of the forty eight hour best of. Yeah, you and me both. Yep. <laughs> um right on well that was going on around town um now let's jump to the wide world of movie news it's real news all right kicking off movie news this week uh the super mario brothers animated film uh set for release on december 21st 2022 uh, has been has revealed its uh, all star cast. So we've got Chris pa- Chris Pratt playing the role of Mario. We got Anya Taylor Joy playing Princess Peach. Charlie Day as Luigi. Jack Black as Bowser. 
Keegan-Michael Key as Toad, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, Fred Armisen as Cranky Kong, Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek, and Sebastian Maniscalco uh, as Spike. So uh, that's your uh, cast for the Super Mario Brothers Universal Illumination team-up film here. Um, yeah, Char- it sounds Charles like Martin is in there somewhere. Charles Martin Day? Yeah, the, the actual game voice of Mario. He's listed on there, but he's not playing Mario like at least 95% of the time, I'm guessing. Hmm. He might be uh, subbing for Chris Pratt whenever he's doing like, wahoo or yippee. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense then. Because even Chris Pratt can't top the wahoo and here we go. Uh, so yeah, look for the Super Mario Brothers movie next December. Uh, jumping or into watch the one from 1993. <laughs> <laughs> fun time. You know what? If we don't get uh, a Kino Lorber edition of that within the next year to coincide with it, I'd be pretty fucking surprised. It's almost as if though the way these things are marketed, they wait until it's gonna tie in with some big release. But maybe we'll see. I don't know. Um. Jumping into the world of Netflix news, uh, Tiger King was a big sensation last year, especially at the top of the pandemic, uh, which gave the world a glimpse into the mad world of Joe Exotic uh, and uh, seemingly distracted people enough to forget that animals were abused in that project, Um, which is why even though I recommend that uh, Netflix series, I also caution people to understand that that's the, the point of that show is not about joe exotic and carol baskins infighting it's about the fact that these animals are fucking abused uh now you'll have another chance to hopefully grasp that concept uh when tiger king 2 uh comes out yes that's right we're getting more tiger king uh the uh follow-up uh uh to the series uh will uh uh follow the further adventures of exotic and carol baskin um so yeah i mean uh, I don't know, Brad. You do we even watch Tiger King? I can't remember. I did, and I'm over it. Yeah, I um, I I loved it when I watched it. It was an, an immense suspense ride. Uh, but I uh, seeing the reaction to people embracing the figures rather than discussing the neglect and abuse of, and abuse of animals was just like I don't think people watch this correctly. Uh, but uh, whatever to whatever floats their boat, I guess. Uh, whatever makes you happy uh, is, is the ultimate uh, lesson of the day. Uh, but I will be curious to see what they do with more Tiger King. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, we've got another James Bond movie coming out in the next couple of weeks. No Time to Die, uh, the film that's been delayed for over a year and a half since the pandemic started. Um, this will be the final outing uh, for um, uh, Mr. Daniel Craig as James Bond. Um, and the uh, search for a new Bond uh, se- would seemingly be already underway, but it appears that Barbara Broccoli and, uh, Barbara Broccoli and uh, Michael G. Wilson have st- said that they are holding off until next year. Said, we're not thinking about it at all. We want Daniel to have his time of celebration. Next year, we'll start thinking about the future. He's been such a great Bond. Those are big shoots to f- shoes to fill. I can't even think if it's possible. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, looks like we're not going to be getting any uh, notification of a new bond anytime soon. Looks like they're really going to try to play their cards right and uh, have some further time away from bond. So this will, this may end up being one of those like bigger uh, uh, 
lack of bond presence for a couple of years to get those affairs in order. Um, I don't know. I mean, at this point we've had, we've already had discussions from Daniel Craig uh, pointing out that like, we don't, if you don't need a female bond, what you need is better female written roles uh, overall across the board. Um, so, you know, I think that there's uh, probably a bigger insistence that they're going to keep it a man. Um, and in terms of who they get, we'll we'll just have to wait and see but um it will definitely be very hard to replace uh mr daniel craig uh we've got some marvel news uh and not the kind that we're used to hearing about um copyright termination um has been uh sought by the heirs of stan lee steve ditko and gene colon in regards to the rights that disney marvel has on the marvel characters that were developed by lee ditko etc um, these uh, characters have a termination copy, uh, a copyright copyright termination um, legibility, uh, given the time that's been separated out since their acquisition. And so, the uh, uh, in August, the administrator of Ditko's estate filed a notice of termination on Spider Man, which um, first, as we all know, first appeared in 1962. Under the termina- termination provisions of copyright law, authors of their heirs can reclaim rights once granted to publishers after a waiting statutory set period of time. Uh, and if this were to uh, happen, Marvel would lose full ownership of the rights to these characters by June, by June of 2023, at least for uh, Spider-Man and Steve Ditko, as far as that's concerned. So they wouldn't lose ownership of the character, but they would be having to pay a huge chunk of money profits wise to the heirs of the estates. Um which they were able to successfully shut this down when it came to the creator of Thor uh, back in 2011. So uh, my guess is, is that they're going to, they're, they're probably going to cite legal precedent within the same case that they had in 2011 uh, and work to throw those cases out of court. Um, But it does seem frustrating that the heirs of those creators cannot get uh profit aren't fully profiting off of the mega success of these franchises especially given that they would have never had a chance to fully recoup the benefits when they made those stories initially because they were work for hire under marvel and other companies like dc and in fact the lawyer uh who um led the first case um for uh something of this nature with the creators of superman which was a case that was ultimately rejected in court um the uh it's it's interesting to note that he's leading the charge on this one as well and i frankly think at this point given the billions of dollars that this company generates from those characters i see absolutely no reason to not throw them a few bucks so um We'll we'll have to see what goes on. It doesn't look like this is going to fully affect any Marvel uh, properties in production, uh, but nevertheless, it does mean that uh, it, it is something to to consider within the grander scheme of when you uh, digest these bigger franchise films. Is that there are people who get screwed out of uh, rightful ownership and uh, for the sake of your entertainment. Uh, moving on, we've had. Some deaths. Oh, I guess uh, I don't get to say anything about it. Cool. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was waiting for you to jump in, but I kept having to ramble. So <laughs> you didn't leave any space for anyone to talk. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Brad, what do you second? have to say about what do you have to say about this? <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I understand, you know, 
contractually, those characters were created as part of a work for hire. Uh, that's not unusual, but I'm just like, come on, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, after all the progress we've made, like adding Bill Finger to the credit for the Batman movies and everything, like, you're still going to try and wrestle ownership away from, you know, the, the, the people who generated all that, you know, IP for you. It's just like, yeah, especially, to do. especially when it comes to the estate of Stan Lee, that seems like you're really th- sticking a middle finger at the man who, oh, yeah, you know, like you innovated just, this. Like when Endgame wrapped, like there was that whole celebrate Stan Lee stuff that they did. And now they're like, yeah. now we're going to take his creation and make it solely ours and fuck his family. Yeah. And by the way, I, I should have I should have said up front that the Thor situation was a result of the Jack Kirby estate. So they've been fucking over not just Stan Lee, but they've always been fucking over the creators that got um, passed over in favor of Stan Lee's ever looming presence. So, you know, Steve Ditko's. Steve Ditko's estate deserves dump trucks of money for all the fucking like Spider-Man product we received over the last 20 years. Uh, so this is just like, you know, what's funny, Brad. I, I mean, stop me if I'm wrong because you're a bigger DC head than I am. Um, but given the fact that we have been able to add the bill finger into the mix with DC, it seems like DC's fucking learned their lesson on this and it would behoove Marvel to uh, take a page out of their book and to not fucking fight this. Well, uh, I, I know Warner, Warner Brothers or like AT&T, I guess now, uh, you know, they did that, but I totally expect them to renege on that eventually. So like Marvel is so. Yeah, I um. I, I really like, again, like that, I, I guess when I was rambling on and I didn't leave space for you, which I'm sorry, but I did that by the way, sir. Um, uh, is that like that? That's the, I mean, that's like another added element of frustration that I have with some of the bigger franchises that are based off of these properties that were work for hire is just like, you don't understand like how much shit this like fucking this, this shit can cause uh, when people aren't properly compensated. And between that, the Scarlett Johansson thing. And on top of the fact that production might itself might shut down pretty soon because of a IATSE strike, which good for them, you know, like they need better working conditions. Um, so like to me, like it just seems like the, the, the bigger picture isn't being observed by any of the companies that are making huge profits out of a, off of the, off of a comic book franchise. Um, and that's um, disturbing to say the least. Um, like, especially since you shouldn't really have copyright. I, I, I just want to finish this. Sorry. Like copyright stuff in particular, like the amount of renewal it goes through just to keep it in the hands of one company sometimes disgusts me. <laughs> I just don't know what, like the, the people at the top, like what they're thinking is like, okay, so they're going to do this. Uh, Cause the fans appreciate Marvel filmmaking more than the comics. Like, it's just going to piss off the people who go see your movies. Like they're going to stand with the creators. Like who's who that loves Marvel's movies is, is going to like put the comics in the rear view and support the studios over like, yeah. Um, Some people might not even know that this case is going on. So therefore they're just not even going to think of it. I, but I, like, I imagine the average person. Yeah. But just like the diehards that make these things profitable and uh, like, you're just you're just generating 
ill will and eventually your your brand's slowly going to be reduced uh in appeal it's an online mob that i would support fully like you know keep keep adding disney on twitter to just be like hey dudes like fucking knock it off (laughs) like (laughs) yeah like it's it's just it's insane that it's in it's insane that a company that frankly lost sight of its artistic integrity uh years ago because it's not the same studio that disney walt disney founded but then again it was not the same studio walt disney founded when disney was still alive but um there is a there's a lack of like there's a lack of lack of tact and care especially when i mean i'm not gonna lie disney's decisions between uh the premium charge on disney plus to uh the scarlett johansson debacle to all of this going on it's just like guys like you 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 have every opportunity in the world to to behave decently and you're not doing it i don't i really don't get the benefit of it i i I guess the only benefit that really uh extends to it is ultimately the benefit that people in the higher ups level of disney core have in terms of making a bonus or keeping extra money in their pocket but it's just like yeah but i don't care about you or your money so think of another reason <laughs> like yeah it's just bad pr and like in the short term you'll benefit but in the long term you'll just push away customers so do they think that their brand is so strong that it's immune to criticism because you took a long time for disney to build back up its credibility after walt's death so you know i'm just saying they they they're not learning from past mistakes at all so and even if it doesn't bite them today, it might bite them later. So, yes, yeah, I'm sure the short term, just like the industry as a whole, lost like eight billion dollars, you know, just like this year and last year, because uh, they couldn't put stuff out. But um, so I'm, I'm sure the people at the top are like, we're making less money. Time to like shore up the gates. <laughs> yeah, um, and part of that's like, you know, someone's who's like, well, I got to save my job, so here's my idea. Let's uh, wrestle. Like we have this opportunity to wrestle ownership away from these people again, so we should probably take it, right? It's like that's yeah. a terrible idea, but uh, I don't have any other ones, and we have to generate ideas to keep our jobs. So let's just go with it, um, and just like see where the chips lay <laughs> a year from now. And I'm just like, you know, I'll go see a Marvel movie, but I was just like, oh, I, it, I, I guess you got my money, but. Um, it's at some point I'll be like, you guys are really, I might have to stop doing this. If you're going to treat, uh, the people who made you wealthy. So poorly. Yeah. yeah. And keep in mind, this is a lot of this vitriol is coming from somebody from, from my end, who's been revisiting a lot of Disney classics and even some recent Disney fair. And I, I like Disney stuff. I just, I just don't want that company to act beyond its means and treat people like garbage. So you know yeah and, well, it's definitely not the disney company that you love it's it's like every other company now so definitely don't think like that no yeah no the company i, I could give two fucks about the company and what they do i care about the product they put out but you know i'm also i i also have to be aware of what the cost is of that content not just in terms of dollars but in terms of human dignity and mental health so yeah. you know and the, and the i had see too it's just like their whole business model is streaming now. So to say that it's an untested, unproven, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's in it, it's in, in its infancy, but like 
Mm-hmm. People aren't watching Network Man. Like, you know what? I found really taken over. Just because you found- don't understand the model doesn't mean that you should take it out on your employees. There is apparently a tracking service for uh, some of these streamers, and one of them uh, was tracking the numbers on Malignant for HBO Max. So I don't want to hear that they can't track what it's doing and equate that to a dollar value. Uh, that's that's nonsense. And quite frankly, if if your if your residual outcome is not up to snuff with the demands that you place on your workers, that's fucking nonsense you need to knock that shit off like it's i mean like i work in retail and we get kicked around and treated like shit too and there's a whole mentality around business practices and ethics in this country that absolutely is abysmal and has no uh the, the like literally like at some point they they've got to realize that the bottom will fall out on that like, cause right now that's what they're going to be experiencing with a strike. So, you know, yeah. um, so anyway, um, Brad, let's move on to some positive news, um, while still maintaining our support for the creatives who, uh, the heirs of the creatives who created the things we love and also the people who work their asses off to make the things we love. Um, we've got the return. Uh, this is some Doctor Who news for all you Doctor Who fans out there. Russell T. Davis, uh, the initial showrunner who kicked off the um, was instrumental in return reviving Doctor Who in 2005, will be returning to the showrunner position. Um, the uh, the uh, current uh, uh, the current showrunner will be leaving after the Jodie Whittaker run. Uh, Davy said, "I'm beyond excited to be back on my favorite show." Uh, but we're time traveling too fast. There's a whole series of Jodie Whittaker's brilliant doctor for me to enjoy with my friend and hero, Chris Chimball at the helm. I'm still a viewer for now. And Chimball himself added, it's monumentally exciting and fitting that Dr. Who's 60th anniversary. will see one of Britain's screenwriting diamonds returned home. Russell built a baton, built the baton that is about to be handed back to him. Dr. Who, the BBC, the screen industry in Wales. And let's be honest, everyone in the world have so many reasons to be excited indeed for what lies ahead uh the uh the big uh uh, the big events coming up prior to davis's return will be um the the end of the uh uh whitaker uh run as well as a trio of specials culminating in what the bbc is describing as an epic blockbuster special uh that will air in the fall of 2022 as part of the broadcaster's centenary celebrations uh so yeah wonderful news for the doctor who fans out there i am as i am a doctor who uh observer but not a participant uh for now uh i am very happy for people if they're happy for it and sad for them if they're sad about it um i don't know i don't i don't know i guess i don't have to get corinne's opinion on this one um and then last but not least we've got some deaths here uh to report First of all, uh, Basil Hoffman, uh, an actor in such films as The Artist and Ordinary People, died at the age of 83, uh, an acting career stretching over 200 credits. Um, he was an auctioneer in The Artist. He appeared as Sloan in Ordinary People. He had roles in My Favorite Year, The Last Word, All the President's Men, and Rio, I Love You from 2014. Uh, he was also part of uh, recurring roles in the 1980 series Street, Hill Street Blues and Square Pegs. Um, and, uh, looks like he, uh, worked with 14 different Oscar actor, uh, Oscar winning actors throughout his entire career. 
a journeyman actor, big bucket of win. He shall be missed. Uh, and then another death within the world of the Mary Tyler Moore show. And also one that does mean something to me, uh, Jay Sandrich. Uh, he was one of the directors of the Mary Tyler Moore show and the, uh, 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 he worked on a show uh, starring that guy named Bill Cosby uh, and uh, soap. Um, he has passed away at the age of 89. Jay Sandrich uh, was a se- started off uh, in Hollywood as a second assistant director on I love Lucy. And then he started working on shows like make room for daddy, which is the Danny Thomas show at uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. He directed the pilot episodes for the Bob Newhart show WKRP in Cincinnati and Benson and he produced for Andy Griffith and Get Smart. Um, now, his father, Mark Sandrich, was a uh, key uh, creative force that was brought over to Paramount to revitalize the Jack Benny brand uh, starting in 1939. Uh, so Jay Sandrich followed in his father's footsteps uh, in terms of working in show business. Uh, he won his first Emmy in 1971 for directing the first season installment, uh, Tularu. Latrec is one of my favorite artists, uh, which is part of the Mary Tyler Moore show. This is the one where Mary finds herself romantically attracted to a visiting author during a sit down interview, only to discover that when he stands up, he is much shorter than she is. Um, and then he won a second one uh, for the for Mary Tyler Moore show for it's whether you win or lose. Uh, so. Um, he 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 had a he had an intuitiveness when it came to directing comedy, which is uh arguably something that he acquired from his father, uh, whether through uh, uh, witnessing it or just uh, inherent talent. Uh, So at at the age of uh, 89, that's a big bucket of win right there, I'd say. So hats off to Jay Sandridge. And Betty White scales the Mortal Kombat Towers once again. (laughs) Is she ever going to (laughs) go? Not that I want her to. But I, I just I don't see how far she can get at this point. Like, like who's left? <laughs> a gaffer on <laughs> Mary Tyler Moore is still alive. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's it's just insane. But working on Dick Van Dyke too. I love Lucy. He had a big career. Uh, but the big news, our uh, big death, arguably uh, Melvin Van Peebles, um, the one of the innovators of uh, black cinema in this country, passed away at the age of eighty nine. Uh, his landmark career uh, uh, includes such films as Watermelon Man and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Um, and he is also the father of Melvin Van Peebles, uh, Ma- Ma- uh, Mario Van Peebles, sorry, uh, actor who is still with us. Um, this comes off of the off of the news of his Criterion box set being released, the essential uh van peebles uh and also a uh broadway uh revival of his play ain't supposed to die a natural death is supposed to be coming next year am i crazy Um, or is this happening quite frequently where criterion will at least like uh masterworks collectioners of somebody and then they die recently like relatively close to it like i feel like this just happened this uh, i'm trying to remember who uh uh who uh uh, who this happened to recently? I can't remember. Um, shit, yeah, I have to go back and look through the criterion release. But yeah, I feel like like a couple months ago, the same thing happened. 
Yeah. Because I saw um, that today. I was like, didn't Criterion just put out a box out of his stuff this week and he died? Like, that's mm-hmm. a bad omen. Jeez. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, Van Peebles, though, started off his career. He was living in Paris. Uh, and he directed his, uh, wrote and directed his first film, The Story of a Three Day Pass. Uh, and it put him on the radar for Columbia Pictures, which led him to directing The Watermelon, Watermelon Man, a racial satire with Godfrey Cambridge. Um, as Jeff Gerber, a bigoted white insurance salesman who goes to the bathroom in his suburban home in the middle of the night and discovers that he's black. Um, and the this uh, 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 the, uh, on the strength of that movie success, Columbia offered him a three picture deal, but wanted no part of his next project, which was Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. So helped by a $50,000 loan from Bill Cosby. Uh, he wrote and directed, produced, scored, and edited the Renegade film while starring as its anti-hero, a ladies' man whose superhero love-making abilities who battles the corrupt white establishment in Los Angeles. Or a better way to put it, it's one of the key black exploitation films and an essential watch. Um, and uh, so the, this this movie opened a floodgate of further black exploitation films that would innovate and lead the way, whether that be shaft or coffee uh foxy brown etc um so van peebles was a true pioneer um i uh i i'm gonna be picking up this box set which we'll be talking about in blu-rays um and i i I do think that it's very very uh it's very inspirational to look at his story and looking how he pioneered different elements of this on the, on the lowest of scales at a time when African-American filmmakers were, were, were an absolute like minority, like they barely existed. So for him to very much help innovate the black exploitation genre is quite a feat to say the least. So Melvin, you will be very, very missed. And that is news. I forgot to mention last week that last week was my 100th consecutive episode congratulations oh wait wait breaking breaking real nerds news brad has reached 100 consecutive episodes Woo! last week this week is 101 last week so. yes last week uh brad um can can the real nerds podcast news get a quick quote on what it's like to have 100 consecutive episodes in a row exhausting <laughs> do you think you'll retire and let's uh let a certain uh uh, Scottish cap wearing gentleman, uh, take your throne again. Definitely not going to let that happen by that person, <laughs> but I'm definitely like, yeah, I like, uh, thanks to the team for letting me, uh, you know, move the schedule around so I could achieve that. Cause with the four day and everything the past couple of weeks, it was, it was definitely in jeopardy. Um, the show doesn't happen without you, Brad. So if we can help you accommodate a, a, a certain mile marker, we're going to do it. Yeah. So, from here on out, I, I can start missing shows again. I'm, I'm not that precious about it. It'd be nice to go to 200, but that might be insane. But uh, <laughs> I'm like 30, 30 weeks or something ahead of the past uh, <laughs> leader, which was you. So uh, it's it's going to take uh, a monumental effort by the rest of you to catch up to that. So yeah, how many did I have in a row? I think you were at 70 or something. I can find out real quick. Um, Huh. That was what from yeah. like 2017 to 2019, 2018, uh, something like that. Gotcha. That makes perfect uh, sense. Yeah, 71. Okay. Wow, 71. So I blew past that by 
30 episodes. Yeah. yeah. As of yeah. right now. Stupid me finding other things to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that, that real nerds take Manhattan with just Henry wrecked your, your run. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that doesn't seem fair because that. <laughs> yeah. But then you did uh, miss Hellboy. Yeah, so, that's true. I did miss Hellboy. I believe I was out of town that day. So. You would have added 20. Oh my God. 29. <laughs> so if, if you hadn't missed Hellboy and stay in somehow was on that Manhattan episode, um, I, yeah, you would have a hundred right now. <laughs> Dang. Oh, well, well, I guess since then you've also missed a couple other weeks, but, uh, you would have had a hundred by, you would have hit the hundred mark by 2019 for Shazam. This isn't fair. <laughs> so yeah, definitely kick Henry in the nuts when you see him <laughs> next. And well, I do uh, that every time I see him. It's our, it's the way we greet each other. And then punch yourself in the dick for missing Hellboy. <laughs> punch myself in the dick for miss. You know what? Given what I've heard about that film, Nah, I, I think I will uh, gladly allow myself to be uh, uh, completely uh, free of guilt on that one. So, uh, but thank you for suggesting it. I <laughs> yeah, then you missed Good Boys, then Joker, and then Zombieland Double Tap. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, but but I'm only uh, I think seven weeks away from having the all time. If Ryan, mm. if Ryan continues to miss more episodes. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm like six weeks away from taking the all time appearances. So, dang. Here, here's to you. Here's to you completely dominating this entire show in a Thanos fashion. You can snap half of, half of us out of existence. That's, uh, that is a weird feeling. Like, Ryan he, should probably always hold that record, but I'm coming for him. Yep. Stop going already to Portland. Sna- you already snapped James away. Um, and I'm assuming Henry as well. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, Corinne's blown past Henry. Um, yeah, like 15 or so. And I, I surpassed James a long time ago, but uh, you're still quite a bit away from James even. So, oh, really? He had a bunch more. You're at 254 and he's holding at 319. So, oh, uh, well, About another uh, year. Next, wait, yeah. By next year, I will have, uh, that Detroit boy beat. <laughs> yeah. You'll finally come in third place here. Yeah, that's right. Third place is I get a bronze medal, dude. I'm totally down for that. Anywho. Hey guys, we don't just talk about movie news. We also talk about the movies you can buy on Blu-ray, DVD, VHS, Betamax, 4k. This is DVDs and Blu-rays. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Jumping it off from our news segment, uh, Criterion has put out Melvin Van Peebles, the Essential Films Blu-ray set. This includes such films as The Story of a Three-Day Pass, Watermelon Man, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, and Don't Play Us Cheap, along with Badass, the film uh, starring Mario Van Peebles as his father. Uh, so you can pick that up via Criterion if you so wish. Uh, Arrow is putting out a 4K of Legend, the 1985 Ridley Scott joint featuring Tom Cruise. Uh, so if you need to complete your Tom Cruise collection like Ryan does, maybe he's going to upgrade that. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, 
he if you know what if he doesn't want to go that route he can always go with children of the corn in 4k the 1984 stephen king adaptation is now available in a glorious 4k format for all of you you know what's also in 4k orson wells's last movie transformers the movie uh from 1986 coming to you in 4k through shout factory uh and additionally warner archive has made the right decision for they are putting out on Blu-ray at last. 1935's A Night at the Opera, starring the Marx Brothers, Groucho, Chico, and Harpo. Uh, so it's, this was post-Zeppo, folks. Uh, so if you want to pick up an HD copy of A Night at the Opera, go to Warner Archive and check that out today. If you get up enough, enough of them, maybe they'll put out the rest of those things in uh, Blu-ray, which would be nice. Uh, Resurrection is coming to you from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, and uh, this is a Christopher Lambert film from 1999. Uh, you can also pick up from Criterion, The Damned, uh, the, the Lucino, Lucino Visconti film. Uh, we've also got Devil's Story from 1986, coming to you from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, a lot of catalog titles and guys, so settle up for this. But before that, I will point out that one of the new releases is The Forever Purge in 4K. Uh, the 2021 film that uh, I don't know if anybody even bothered to go to. I, I, I really don't know what the reception of that was. Um, regardless, though, if you want to pick up the Forever Purge and complete your Purge trilogy or quadrilogy, whatever the heck it is, now is your chance. Um, we've got the fourth victim coming to you from Severin, the 1971 horror slasher film. Uh, we've got Commando Ninja uh, coming to you from ETR Media. Um uh, I have no idea what this looks like, Brad, but this looks like a film that we'll need to dig into in terms of those uh, cheesy action movies. Um, we've got from Terror Vision, WNUF Halloween Special, a horror comedy with fake news and commercial sections. This was filmed on old video cameras to make it look like a real VHS recording of a commercial television station's Halloween special from 1987. Uh, so that sounds kind of neat. Uh, Paramount is reissuing Clue the Movie on Blu-ray and digital. Uh, and uh, we've got Primetime Panic. Um, the, uh, uh, this is coming to you from Fun City Editions. Uh, I don't know what this is exactly, but uh, uh, this looks like a uh, collection of films that span. Um, it includes such films as Kid Candidate, Duck the Carbine High Massacre, primetime uh the four mad men only and wnf wnuf so uh yeah i guess check that out um and let's see you can get the three from hell 4k in a new steel book uh uh the film from 2019 rob zombie's final outing in the uh uh the firefly trilogy uh and I guess we'll just end it with Kino Lorber putting out The Hunter Will Get You, uh, starring John Paul Belmondo, who recently passed away. Uh, Le Apageneur is a freelance spy from the French secret agency. He's put on an investigation about Le Pernevre, a serial killer who employs young boys to help him robbing banks before killing them. So it's like a black hand gang, except he eliminates his uh, lackeys. Uh, so yeah, you feel free to check that out. And it looks like that's it for September Blu-rays. Every week, the real nerds see a main movie of the week, but we also watch other random shit in a segment that we call 
random shit. I mean, what we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what did you watch this week? Uh, almost nothing. Um, yeah, uh, I didn't see any. Well, I guess I, I, I went and rewatched the Suicide Squad uh, in the theater because I think this is the last week it's going to be out here. So that was still fun. Um, but I got a seat like second from the last row in the back. And as usual, 10 minutes before the movie starts, God damn a it. couple came in and looked around. And they were like, you know, all the other seats are open except for one. Right. <laughs> and me. And they're like, we'll sit right behind this guy. And so I got up and I moved to the front row. But what 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 is what, with with people like what what old what old lady did you offend that she put a hex on you? I know. What's how do I defeat this curse? <laughs> right in. Let us know. How do you defeat a, a couple's ruin your solo theater experience? Jesus, this is like. Dude, you, you, I feel bad for you every time, every fucking time. I, I just don't understand it. I, yeah, it's just baffling. Like, why? Like, they're the kind of people, like, you've seen them, like, previews are pretty much over, and then they show up, and they're just like, here's an theater. There's one dude. I'm going to go sit right next to him with yeah. my partner. It's like, uh. Uh, even if you're vaccinated, like why, why, just leave leave Brad alone <laughs> on a, on a on a on a biology level, on a just common courtesy level, like like this guy has to hear our whispering conversations, like he needs to hear them. They're so important, Brad. They're so fascinating, Brad, Brad. Every one of them has been involved in some sort of crime, so you're their alibi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they looked in like yeah officer about, i saw them sat next to me in the theater those fucking jerks <laughs> they looked they were like we're gonna sit in the row in front of him and they're like no fuck that go behind him like that's a big difference oh my god like why not a completely different section oh my god yeah i was like okay i, I think the rationale was like if we sit behind him we can look at our phones during the movie and he won't notice but that light carries across the wall. So when I was down the second row, I knew you were checking your phone. So. Mm, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. But the Suicide Squad is fantastic, regardless of all that. So. Right. Um, Can't go wrong with a big screen Trump movie, you know? And then the, the only third thing was Ted Lasso. Um, Woo! The 10th episode of the season. Um didn't get to talk about it because we did the film explosion and Corinne wasn't here last week. So I'm just going to go and talk about it. And uh, yeah, uh, the week we missed was like everything since the Christmas episode has been just fantastic. Like all the threads are coming together. All the episodes are super poignant. Um, And this week there was a funeral and uh, we finally figure out in detail what's going on with Ted Lasso and his psychology. And um there's two episodes to go and I didn't mind the beard episode, which is another one of those, you know, added after the season order. So it was just kind of random, but I thought it was fun. Um, I get it. Uh, it's cool to see 
that side character. I mean, he's the main character, but he's not like the focus of a lot of the storylines. And he got to have his own kind of wild one night, random, absurd or absurdist humor type thing going on. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, now there's like so much going on because this last episode introduced a new, uh, problem in a, in the Roy Keeley relationship that we've assumed was kind of like not a thing going forward. And, uh, now there's like only two episodes left to resolve all these things. I'm just like, Oh great. Like what's going to be just, there's gotta be something that they're just going to like hold over for the next season and we'll have to wait a year <laughs> to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on and, uh, definitely if you're not watching Ted Lasso, you need to start watching Ted Lasso because it has gotten fantastic. Wonderful. The episode That's where good. we did the film explosion was just, I must've rewatched, that one and the two leading up to it over and over again, like five or six times. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Very um, cool. Yeah. So, and obviously they won a bunch of Emmys last week. So uh, congratulations to that. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's it for me. I think I, I've been watching what if, but I keep falling asleep during them. So I have to constantly rewatch <laughs> them. Not exciting enough for you? I guess not. Like, I mean, they're interesting, but I don't know if I'm like, I, there's an investment that's missing for me. That's like, they definitely feel like they're is not it be, is integral it, is, to anything. Is it because it's animated? Is that throwing you off or I maybe I mean, the animation is pretty good. Um, so yeah, I don't think so. I think it's just a matter of like, this is an alternate universe. It has no bearing on as far as I know. I mean, it could be when it's all said and done, they might spring like surprise. Like this is part of the, the watchers, overall picture. the watchers, an integral part of the MCU. Yeah. yeah. And actually the coolest thing I think is like speaking to the animation, the backgrounds, like occasionally they'll have a silhouette of the watcher watching what's going on. And that's haunting. And that's kind of cool. Um, in like the Doctor Strange episode, uh, he was actually part of the story where Strange was like, "Hey, undo this! I screwed up." And he's just like, "No, peace out." <laughs> <laughs> Wee! <laughs> yeah, it's like this is all your fault, and um, you know you're just one part of the multiverse. You know, there's other places where this didn't happen, so you know it's, it's not like it's that catastrophic. It's just, it's just catastrophic for you, you selfish piece of shit. <laughs> So I'm out. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, I just keep starting to the next one. And then I wake up and realize like I totally missed the whole thing. So it's, it, I'm slowly getting through what if and it's cool. But yeah, like the, the uh, Captain Britain one, I guess, um, you know, it's cool, but I can't decide if I was trying to say like, uh, you know, women are no different from men. So, the story doesn't change and that's why the story isn't that different from Captain America movie. Mm. Or if it's uh, the other thing where it's like, yeah, um, it is like different because you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, I guess it's just like, what, what's the, if you're not going to make it complete nutter canon, what's the value? But I yeah, mean, like- I, I appreciate that they're, that they attempt to tell the story. 
Um, I haven't watched it, but I I know that that's out there, and I'm like, that sounds like a cool thing to watch. But I do think, like, yeah, in the in the grand scheme of like a live action like Lady Britain adaptation that we'll not we're not going to get, like, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, it's like, is it detrimental or um, or helpful? So to make that point is like I'm I'm trying to understand like because it's so much like the movie just animated, and it's just Haley Atwell instead of Chris Evans in the lead role, and like is the, is the point they're making that you know having it doesn't change the story or is it you know inadvertently saying that like this story is boring because they didn't change it, uh, you know you might be overthinking it, but at the same oh, time oh definitely I overthinking it. it, but I'm just like. Is that an unintended consequence of what they did? Uh, possibly. I guess I'll need to watch Marvel's What If next before I do WandaVision and uh, give you my thoughts on it. Yeah. And then what were the other ones? Yeah, the Marvel Zombies is the one I'm stuck on. What was the other one? Oh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that T'Challa is Star-Lord. Like, it was cool to see, like, some of the villains be heroes. But again, like... I don't know. It just wasn't that affecting of a story for me, I guess. So whatever. Gotcha. Anyway, I feel like that, that that what if might end up being uh, a val- I mean, like, I think the big value in that is hearing Chadwick Boseman's last performance. So, yeah, that's 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 the big thing you get out of it. But at the same time, it shouldn't be. It should be like the focus should be on stories. Right. So. Right. Um. But it was cool. Again, it's just like none of this has any seemingly to my knowledge doesn't have any connection to like what I'm trying to enjoy with Shang-Chi and Loki and WandaVision. So, Mm. you know, it's just a separate thing. So just like with Bad Batch for Star Wars, like I started watching it because it seems so essential. But then like after a bunch of episodes, like this doesn't, you know, I guess people who watch Clone Wars, it's important to them, but I didn't watch Clone Wars, so I'm just like, you know, I don't see anything super innovative or interesting going on here. Right. Well, I guess it's I guess it's ultimately how how uh, how far do you want to branch off outside of the main core story? Because like, I held off on Marvel TV adaptations for a good long while until I realized like, oh. Kevin Feige wasn't bullshitting. Like a lot of these are going to be integral to the MCU going forward. So, uh, which I, which I frankly don't appreciate because if I've got to watch your six episode television show to understand a movie in a theater, then uh, I, that I find that a little disingenuous unless you're Richard Kelly, who's trying to do Southland tales in that respect years before, um, which by the way, why don't you just give a MCU movie to Richard Kelly, you know, like, that that seems like a great idea um but yeah so i i just i I find it like i i i'm glad i ended up going to falcon winter soldier uh because i got a lot of value out of it and i really appreciated loki even though like a couple weeks removed from loki my it didn't leave an impression on me the way falcon winter soldier did but I think getting to dissect Loki was a worthy endeavor. Um, if it weren't for the fact that I know that it's, I, I mean, it's, it's almost like I kind of wish it didn't have any bearing on the MCU overall. Like it was just its own thing. 
Um, but uh, I guess there's not really much you can do to fix that. So I'm curious about WandaVision though, because I know that has a lot of multiverse implications from what I heard. So um, I'll be very curious to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah. That's it for me. Right on. Well, I didn't watch too, too much. Um, uh, I rewatched Labyrinth uh, and uh, movies a lot better than I remember. Um, I always appreciated it from the technical acumen and I, I'm a Jim Hensonite, but uh, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal were two Jim Henson properties that I didn't really go back to because I'm just obsessed with Muppets really at the end of the day. Um, but going back to it, it's a lot of fun. David Bowie's very good, charismatic as the Goblin King and Jennifer Connelly's really great in it. Um, I, I guess one of my big things was just appreciating the visual landscape that Henson creates and, you know, whether it's this or the Muppets, like Henson was one of those unsung directors who knew how to absolutely envelop you into whatever world he was brandishing. Um, and just the way he shoots his films, you know, there's, there's never really an instance where I'm thinking that this isn't real. Um, I think my brain's just allowed itself to tune into like, this is the reality. There is no reason to suggest that any of these creatures are fake um, because your imagination is ultimately grasping onto you that tightly. Um, So in that respect, I really, really did enjoy it. Um, Not my favorite Henson thing, but I, I was very happy to watch it again and uh, to experience it again. Uh, I continued down some more Disney binge. Um, I watched a movie called um, Victory Through Air Power, which is a World War II oddity uh, from the Disney canon. Uh, it's an hour and nine minutes um, with an introduction by Leonard Malton on the uh, Walt Disney Treasures DVD. And uh, I'd seen it before in high school, but I wasn't really paying attention to it. It was not as interesting as the propaganda cartoons to me. Um but uh the movie is um uh there was a there was a major in um uh world war during the era of world war 2 who was very much advocating through, for air power as our solution to winning the war um and the movie plays out as a salute to the idea of an air force and specifically the goal of the film is to propose uh, Major Stravinsky, I believe his name is, is uh, his um, uh, theories on how the war can be won only through long range bombers uh, and systematic attacks. Like basically he's advocating like this is the only way to win World War Two. It's not going to be through ground troop like ground troop can only do so much. Long range bombers will be the solution to it. And Disney believed enough in this theory that he created this film and when RKO wouldn't distribute it, he took it over to United artists and uh, the film did poorly, but it was very well respected by a lot of heads of state, including Winston Churchill. Uh, The movie itself is like, it's a very interesting piece of propaganda that I, I, that I don't get to see that often where it's like, you know, in the middle of war, trying to figure out solutions to the overall conflict. I mean, we have the hindsight of knowing how world war two ended because of, um, uh, both history and just the fact that the atomic bomb was being being developed in secret. Um, but even if we didn't have the bomb, you look. I almost had to put myself in the position of just like, all right, let's just assume we don't have the Manhattan Project going around. And would this theory work? And it's it's a compelling argument. 
Um, I'm not a military strategist, so I have no idea uh, how any of this holds water by comparison. Like it's, it's, it's weird. It's almost just like, it's a really cool, like theoretical scenario uh, for history buffs. But outside of that, it doesn't really have like, it's not like I'm going to tell you, Brad, you need to watch victory through air power to understand the military. It's like, no, like this is just, this is just a curio, um, but a very well-produced curio nonetheless, so, like some very interesting animation going on in it. Um, uh, and then I rewatched Fantasia, which has been a nice uh, thing to sit back to and just watch while I unwind. Like I don't have to worry about plot. I don't have to really worry about, even if I were to turn, even if I my eyes were to dip, I'd still be appreciating the music coming over in stereophonic sound. Um, uh, the movie's amazing. Like the more I watch that movie, the more I, the more it becomes in, my, it goes into my top five of Disney films of all time. Like it's getting closer to that, to hitting that top five, which is very hard to hit because I've got a lot of fun favorites in there. Um, but just the animation is gorgeous. Um, I have segments that I prefer over others, but each one of them has value. Um, I think the pastoral symphony by Beethoven is the only one, the only segment where I'm just like, I don't, I think this goes on a little too long, but it's not like I'd ask, and I I wouldn't ask anything to be removed or changed. Uh, And it is a two hour movie that breezes by pretty quick. Like I think as a kid, it's harder to, um, appreciate it and sit with it because there's no dialogue and it's it's gag driven but there's not a lot of like the gags are working in conjunction with the music so it's not it's not the same as a regular disney cartoon uh so i I mean it's a movie that if people haven't watched it in full since music class or wherever you watched it for the first time it's something that i would definitely try to kick on in disney plus and just relax to and uh, it's a movie that I wish I had seen uh, in a theater and I would love for them to reissue it. And I was having memories of Fantasia 2000 uh, amidst all this and remembering that like, oh yeah, my parents took me to see that twice when it came to IMAX uh, here in Colorado. Um, and I was having very strong memories of sitting in the theater watching it. So I popped on Fantasia 2000 uh, the same night that I watched Fantasia and that movie holds up better than I thought it would um, because my biggest worry was I remembered there being a lot of attempts at CGI uh, going on throughout uh, Fantasia 2000 and I misremembered it. It's a lot of 2D, 3D blend. So they're kind of going into two and a half D mode in certain respects. Like, so certain sections will be an attempt at early CGI. That's not Pixar related, uh, but it's blending into regular 2D animation. Um, so like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good comparison that you might remember, Brad, um, of like what was coming out at that time. Like, do you remember the dinosaurs movie that came out? Yeah. It's, it's almost like, it's like, it's, it's not trying to go for photorealism. So it's stepping itself back. Um, and so like, I, there's like the, uh, the pines of Rome segment with the whales, there are certain parts of it that look off, but there are other moments in it that blend so amazingly that you almost forget the parts that don't work. Um, and uh, the, uh, the steadfast tin soldier one worked way better than I remembered it working. Uh, it's still a little blocky by comparison to today, obviously, 
but watching the attempt at it where it's very much trying to keep itself firmly rooted in a 2d concept uh and a hand-drawn concept nonetheless is very uh nevertheless is very um uh admirable uh uh the, the noah's ark segment with pomp and circumstance is very well animated uh and uh, uh carnival of animals uh with the flamingo getting the yo-yo is still very very wonderful to watch um and i love that they still continued uh the tradition of starting off with an abstract piece so like beethoven's fifth symphony is a huge abstract concept um the the only thing with fantasia 2000 that i was like i was left unsure of i still love the piece but i think i'm i'm unsure of how i feel about it by comparison to fantasia is um uh the uh firebird suite by stravinsky where they have the uh woman who is representing nature fighting off the fire the firebird and then it's it's about renewal um just like the phoenix rising from the ashes and um for some reason it uh it it resembles too much of the optimistic 90s era of disney for me that it doesn't have the same effect as watching night on bald mountain and then ave maria on the very tail end of it um and i and, I, and it's probably unfair to compare the two but uh it, it just for me like rewatching the ave maria segment was like affecting and a brilliant way to end fantasia so the firebird one was a little bit like all right this is very nice but it's not the same it doesn't pack the same punch um but for both of them if the concept is to stay firmly rooted in a concert feature and to really expose people to to classical music both of them do their jobs beautifully. Um, my biggest complaint with Fantasia 2000, honestly, is that, that it's too short. It's only 71 minutes. You could easily stick another 30 to 40 minutes in that movie, and I would eat it up. So, um, uh, yeah, both were on Disney Plus if you want to check it out. Um, I rewatched Christopher Robin from 2018, um, which worked way better for me than even the first time. Um, uh just watching how that film is not attempting to be too overtly over serious or over uh uh over obsessed with its sincerity uh like it is it is a kind sweet family film uh with a wonderful um a wonderful handle on the on the Winnie the Pooh material not just from the Disney aspect of it but also the the concepts that AA a. Milne developed in those characters um the uh, I think that the one thing that may not have hold up for me completely is uh, Christopher Robin's like traumatic impact to war. Uh, it feels like it's kind of like just a dropped uh, a dropped storyline because the bigger one is that he's just too busy with work and he's not paying attention to his family. But I love the idea of Christopher Robin losing his sense of childhood wonder because of war, but it just doesn't like it's it's not a thread they hold on to as great but it's still a wonderful majesty 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 filled film so if you haven't seen christopher robin from 2018 check it out it's still fantastic so yeah and the last thing i watched this week was um i started a series on uh prime oh well it's through Britbox called red dwarf um which was recommended to me by my my pal Smokey, who uh does all the best lines rated h and has a hammer 
and he'd been pitching the show to me for a while. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll sit down and check this show out. And I did not fully realize the fandom for this show. Cause the moment I started announcing that I was watching it, I had everybody coming out of the woodwork going like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And, uh, they have every right to be, um, joyful about it. Have you ever watched the show, Brad? I know of it, but I've, yeah, I've never got around to it. It was, uh, usually on PBS, um, hmm. you know, after Mr. Bean or something. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy this show a lot, Brad. Um, started in 1988, 1989. Um, uh, follows the adventures of uh, the Red uh, Red Dwarf mining vessel. Um, uh, our key characters are Lister, who's kind of like a slacker on the ship. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I heard a groan, so I didn't know if you... Oh, no, Sorry. I was moving. I, 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 full disclosure, folks, we've been experiencing outages um so uh but yeah no so it follows lister who's kind of like a slacker um uh on the technical end of the crew uh and you've got rimmer uh who's just a level above him but is just as equally inept um and uh there's a uh radiation leak uh that happens throughout the ship um and if i'm getting the technical jargon of what happens on the ship wrong guys i'm still a newbie on the show please uh be gentle with me uh but um uh, Lister was put into suspension because he refused to hand over a cat that he was hiding in the ship. And so he wakes up at 3 million years in the future where the only inhabitants left on the ship are uh, the computer Holly, uh, a hologram of Rimmer who died in the initial um, uh, disaster and his cat who he refused to give up and hidden uh, had hidden in the vents uh, had evolved over 3 million years into an actual person. <laughs> uh, and so it's just about their adventures trying to basically get the red dwarf home back to earth. Um, and uh, it's very funny uh, considering that you have uh, this concept of basically only one per one technical person, an evolved cat and a hologram living on a ship together. It just blends into this lovely absurdist humor that I enjoyed so much. There's singing toasters. There's, you know, fucking like uh, there's, there's an episode in this first series where, you know, uh, they deal with events happening seconds in the future. So they get to play with time travel and it's, it's very brilliant how they handle it. Um, They have like, elements of Lister's personality split off into confidence and paranoia. Like it, it's, it's dealing with some abstract concepts that I really enjoy. Uh, so I I'm hooked and I'm thankful that I kept my Brett box subscription after going back through the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. Cause not only can I go back to that, but I can start enjoying more of this red dwarf. Uh, so yeah, if anybody has never checked out red dwarf, follow along on the journey with me. It'll be a lot of fun guys. We can hang out on the, on the vessel together. Um, so yeah, and that's all I've been watching this week. This week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw Prisoners of the Ghostland. Brad, should people watch Prisoners of the Ghostland? Um, and I hope this doesn't drop out again while we're talking. Um, Prisoners of the Ghostland. I don't. I I feel like I'm not in on the joke. Um, it was a. It was one of the few movies that I thought about actually just leaving in the middle of because I was so put off by, I didn't understand what was going on. If it was supposed to be funny, if it was supposed to be like a lot of the times I thought it was just like 
these filmmakers got together for the weekend and just didn't have a script and just made it up as they went. Um, the best thing I can say about it is that the production design and costumes were fantastic. Uh, definitely a lot of effort went into that. Um, like visually, it's really impressive. Some of the photography is great. I just, I just don't know what, how I was supposed to get out of this. Fair enough. Um, I am going to recommend it. Um, this is a bonkers gonzo Western slash horror movie that I just, I just dug into the vibe of it kind of reminded me of like a, a, like what, like a grindhouse movie might be, but also like it, it, I know that there's a basis for this and I'm not as versed on this, but like these, these bigger supernatural films from Japan pre the nineties and whatnot that like have a, a, a prominent ghost element where the ghosts can look rather silly or bizarre. Um, I think that it, there's a lot of elements to me that actually remind me of Mad Max that I appreciated where yeah. a relate, a, a language is being created out of its own whole cloth. Um, it's not perfect, but I think that it's absolutely worth your time to sit down with it and kind of embrace the madness. And I'm always an advocate of that. Uh, it was, it was fun watching Nicolas Cage do some funny stuff um, while also, you know, playing his own version of a, of a kind of a neo Western hero. And I like watching Bill Mosley and anything. So I'm, I was down to watch him ham it up. Um, uh, and out of the Nicolas Cage movies we've seen this year, pig is still the best. But this is, for me, this movie is 10 times better than Willy's Wonderland. So, uh, oh, wow. I, yeah, for that, for that, I will absolutely recommend it. Um, here's the trailer for, oh, wait, no, before we, before we do that, Brad, I believe our absent host, Ryan, had a, had a thought or two on, uh, on Prisoners of Ghostland. Should we hear what he had to say? Hello, my fellow nerds. This is your host, your talent, Ryan. And I'm sorry I missed this week's episode. I am in the great Northwest traveling for work. However, I could not let this go by without talking to you about what the fuck I just saw, which is Prisoners of the Ghost Land, which stars Nicholas Cage. This movie is loud, obnoxious, incoherent, and doesn't make any sense. I only gave it one star. And the reason I gave it one star is there's a moment in it where Nicolas Cage gets this outfit that has bombs attached to it. And if he does certain things with his body parts, the bombs will be activated. During one part, he gets aroused when this girl he's saving is drinking water, which makes a bomb blow up in his testicle. I think it's his left one. And his left testicle blows up. He holds up his left testicle and passes out. And then later, he's explaining to the prisoners of Ghostland that he has one testicle! And he does that in a way that just makes the movie get one star. Because without that one moment, I would not give this movie any stars. It's not very good. It makes no sense. And it's not even saved by some, like, over-the-top gore and some action scenes. It's just a fucking mess. And I'm really glad that my Alamo season pass kicked back in. And even more glad that my first month is free. So technically, I only paid a dollar thirty for this movie for the convenience fee of using my Alamo pass. So yeah, I give Prisoners of Ghostland one blown off Nick Cage testicle. I'll see you guys next week for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Thanks guys. Bye.
You're fucking wrong, Ryan. You're fucking wrong. Um, I think I might be with you, Ryan. I don't know. I don't know what you said yet, but I saw your star. One star review <laughs> is similar to mine on Letterbox, and uh, yeah, uh, it's I'm I, I like you said it. It very much like I said. There's like I feel like this is a Mad Max movie. Um, it's doing the same things, but I'm like I just don't. I'm not interested in anything the characters are saying. I'm not interested in the arcs of the characters. Like I don't know what I'm. I feel like I'm missing something, and because uh, it it looks like an expensive as hell movie, and you don't get to make expensive as hell movies just for making it up on the spot. So gotcha. Well, um, bef- before we get any further, why don't we play the trailer? My granddaughter has been lost to us. I would have her return to me post-haste. And you, sir, I am told, are the man to do the job. Each arm is equipped with an explosive device. Your trousers are also equipped with explosives. (laughs) Really? Just beyond the point where we now stand lies a highway where evil reigns. What is this? At the end of five days, if you have not returned with Benice, well, I think you get the idea, son. Godspeed. This is the ghost land. A land of no escape. We are not the ones who hold her captive. It's been two days, and still she is missing. How do I get out of here? You must surrender to fate. escapes the ghost land. No one! So, um, so it just, for you, it felt like it wasn't going, uh, you, you, it wasn't allowing you to be further invested. Yeah, I, I was like, I just didn't know what to care about about this movie. Like, what I was it wasn't so funny that I, you know, it was, it wasn't, it was absurd, but it wasn't absurd funny. So I was like, okay, I'm not la- like, there's no comedy element that I'm enjoying. Like, sure, Nicolas Cage <laughs> rattles off some weird one-liners, but like, overall, like it, it, it seems to have no bearing on, like the the plot. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I guess there was. Um, you know, the, the budget is still kind of low, so they s- sacrifice like th- there's these two towns, but you don't really know how far apart they are. You never really see any traveling done, mm-hmm. uh, probably because they're built right next to each other. And, um, you know, the what's the, like the rat, the rat man character, I feel like his yeah. whole uh staged area is just where the crew keeps all the. <laughs> uh, filmmaking equipment in those trucks and they just repurpose them and threw some leds on them um 
yeah, I got a very like I got a very DIY vibe of you know, we have a location, we have an awesome costume guy, we have an awesome or costume person, we have an awesome props person. Uh I think we're using the burned out clock tower from the universal lot <laughs> from the fire. <laughs> like maybe that's but at the end did say it was in New York, so um like we have a location oh, and we signed Nicolas Cage um and Sophia Batella. Uh for some reason they're involved, but like they have the weekend, so let's get everything all pieced together and we'll get to make the coolest movie ever where you know we'll have ninjas in it and we'll have samurai and western and uh japanese culture and it and it'll just be this melting pot of all these different things uh we've got a dope dp uh it'll look great and um you know here we are nick say something just like the coolest thing you can think of right now um you know blood packet guy activate the splatter um yeah i i I mean so i'm not familiar with the director uh Sion Sono. Yeah, never heard of them but, before. But uh, but you know, reading some stuff afterwards, it's it's clear that he has a following and it seems like he is uh a little bit more known for these eclectic and idiosyncratic kind of movies. So it's not like it's almost like it's not like this is unexpected by any state. I mean, like I th- I feel like it was cool to be let in on this kind of new world. And that's what I kind of dug about it. Um, the, I think that the attempt to create a Mad Max esque uh, language of its own uh, might be a little too ambitious, but I don't even know if that's what it's going for. It almost feels like it wants to be its own thing and to hell with establishing anything further in its universe. Um, in terms of it telling a very simple story, like th- so the plot for people who, um, have just heard us kind of like debating its merits. Um, Nicholas Cage plays a guy who robbed a bank with his partner, um, but they killed a bunch of, uh, but his partner killed a bunch of people uh, amongst which was a kid who was at a gumball machine. Uh, and so he's captured by the governor played by Bill Mosley, who one of his granddaughters, quote unquote, has run away and he is tasked with bringing her back. And he's put into kind of an escape from New York kind of, uh, uh, contingency plan where he wears a suit that has explosives all around it. It has it on his neck. It has it on his wrists and it has it on his testicles. So basically if he tries to strike the woman in any way or try to get it on with the woman in any way, he'll, he'll experience an explosion and he has a timer on the wrist, which, you know, he gets three to five days to return her back. Um, it's slowly revealed throughout this plot that, uh, Sophia Batella's character, the granddaughter, um, she was part of a collection of uh, sex slaves for the governor, um, who he again is calling his granddaughters. Um, and so the whole concept then is becoming about going back there, but then standing up against the governor. And it's a little like Fury Road without the the war rig. Yeah, that's that's the that's the thing that I one of the things where I started tapping into its vibe. It's just like, man, it's like it's it's a low budget version of uh, Fury Road, which is kind of neat to watch. Yeah, and, and again, a little you, Thunderdome with the whole town of like, <laughs> yeah, of like the ghost land. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, and, that, and uh, you mentioned the production design earlier, Brad. That's one of the reasons why I think I got it got sunk into me was like, oh, my God, it's an actual world and it's not really built on a fucking CG land. That's fucking neat. Um, which I yeah. like CGI, but like th- when you can see a tangible world, like it, it 
it will nowadays capture my heart. So yeah, it was it was amazing. Like that was the best part of it. I was just watching like the amount of detail, uh, you know, all the signage and all the uh, space that they like that and the explosives for the clock tower and everything. Like they put, it, yeah, and then the rat uh, man's whole setup, you know, his, his salvage yard. Like even though it looks like it's the crew's equipment it's like they still built everything around it to like make Mm -hmm. it feel like it's its own living world the only bad side is like like i said there's no sense of distance between the two areas like the ghost land is is a cutaway the scale is very limiting yeah um so you don't get a sense that it's not just they're all in the same like if you turn the camera to the left like 45 degrees you'll see the rest of the set yeah exactly um yeah that is a that is like a slight detriment but like if when you consider that this is probably being done on a on a lower scale budget by comparison the fact that they put as much on the screen as they could within that concept is pretty fantastic it Um, looks like their entire budget is the production design like that's the most expensive looking part of the movie is yeah the world built around it like second maybe like Nicolas cage's fee i guess yeah it's you know what's funny also is I think that like we were talking about Fury Road and the one thing that this film doesn't have that Fury Road has is an actual sense of commentary within the broader themes it's discussing with corruption and you know like and and f- female empowerment but I don't think that the movie's goal is to do that pitch perfect um it's almost like it's like a it's a it's window it's almost it feels like it's window dressing for this this bizarro land that isn't coming out of an established franchise or ip so it's like in a sense it was it was interesting to watch somebody attempt to just build something out of whole cloth and not worry about expectation yeah i don't Um, think this movie has anything to say i feel like it just it just reads like here's an amalgamation of all the cool stuff we like from cinema here's our own version and you know, thanks for watching. Go home. You know, I, I, I narratively, I just like nothing was interesting about it. Like you said, it, it's just the Fury Road. Uh, what's his name? Escape from New York. Escape from New York put together, and then you've got a you've got an element of horror banding about there. What's the villain um, from Fury Road's name? Like or Morton oh, Mort- Joe. Im- yeah, yeah Morton Joe. Yeah, witness me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Morton Joe is 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 the governor and his whole plot with the his his slaves, you know, it's just like so Nicolas Cage goes, brings her back, and like just his his the governor's downfall, by the way, is one of my weaker points in the film, is just like because it, it's it, it, they do a pretty good job at establishing his corruption and whatnot, but like the way his whole empire dismantles itself is not clear in the editing. Like, it's really funny it, when all of his concubines like you're like oh you don't have any money anymore so we're, we're just leaving you and he's just my, like left helpless like that was funny it was funny but i had the question of just like at what point did his value deteriorate what what was the monetary structure here that all of a sudden it's collapsed it was was it when one of his concubines like fucking like unloaded that rotary machine gun like i uh, I I wasn't fully aware of that. It didn't like detriment the movie for me, but I was just like, ah, it's a kind of a weird like cutaway. Um, I guess in the grander scheme of things, it's just everything's collapsing. So yeah, like the whole way the whole ghost land is a collapsed society. Like there's a nuclear explosion, and um, you know people are just living however they can. But apparently, the governor's 
Japanese themed society or whatever uh, has succeeded. And then the, the, uh, the people in the, the wasteland part of uh, for some reason, they can't walk across like, are they infected with like radiation or like they can't walk through it. It was really weird when like Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage uh, finally convinces everyone to go take down the governor and then he's like interrupted by the uh, his buddy who got him captured in the first place and lived was like on the prison bus that got uh, radiated in the explosion stops him and then like all those townspeople just still hung back anyway. And I think Nicholas- that, but I think they were alluding to like that might be the fear that keeping them back. But they're very ambiguous about the whole ghost land and what is actually inhabiting them because like when he finds Sophia Butella when he arrives at the ghost land like she's been paper mache or like fucking like oh, plastered God, yeah, that's up weird too. These, these weird encasings which are representative of her trauma but I'm just like yeah but this is like and she doesn't want to leave yeah it's it well her not wanting to leave makes sense if you're being traumatized by this weird like this weird fucking like sex slave sex slave master and whatnot but like there's like uh the, there's an it, it's almost too ambiguous for what it's trying to do like it, it needs to be it needs to clarify itself a little bit better which is weird because there's it felt like this movie felt totally padded like they just drew stuff out because they're running short on the runtime but they still have long expositional sequences explaining how the world works and it like went over my head like I couldn't understand. I th- I think part of that has to do with the dialogue and the attempting to create its own Mad Ma- Mad Max esque kind of language, and in the process, it just doesn't know how to. I think this. I- I'll be honest. I think the script is the biggest issue. It's not the di- for me. It's not the direction. It's the script. Like oh, yeah. the script. Like, the script is is has no real clarification. Like I said, I felt like they just made it up the whole movie, like on the spot, like. But that can't be true because I can't imagine anyone like shelling out this kind of money for <laughs> a script, a movie that has no script, you know? I mean, unless it's something that uh, Siono self-financed, uh, so, maybe. No, no. The, did you see how many fucking production companies were attached to this thing? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. The whole family guy gag of like, I think people started laughing in my theater. Like, oh, yeah. The sixth or seventh company logo came up. It's like, well, and, and one of them is a, is a known company, XYZ. So, and then you also had RLJE Entertainment putting it out. So, like, and I don't know what the hell Patriot Pictures is, but that's an interesting logo. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I still recommend it to people. Um, I just, uh, but as we've talked about, there are issues with the film. But I think, like, I want to know what Henry thinks, to be honest. I, I almost wish we had reached out to him and been like, dude, like, get you get on fucking mic and explain this to us because we may not be fully understanding it. Uh, but I'm one of the movies advocate advocates here. I would recommend people check it out. It, it certainly has balls on it, and I appreciate its gumption. But it's like, yeah, if you're looking for super something super weird and like, yeah, baffling, like if that's what you're into, then sure, I'd recommend it. But if you're someone who just like wants to enjoy a movie, like like I said, I didn't want to stay through the whole thing. Like, I seriously considered like, do I need to be here for the end because I don't see like. My, I don't know what I'm investing my time in. Like, I don't care about any of these people. Um, there's no, there's, like, there's no interesting action sequences or, you know, the cinematography is great, but it's not like so visually, uh, like Wes Anderson visually, like inspiring, like on a, on a low key level that like I need to stay around. So I was just like, right. You know, what am I supposed to get out of this? I don't know. And p- 
clearly some people are getting something out of it, but it's, I don't know what it is. So I, I want to know Henry's take on it. Like, did he see something that I didn't, you know, if it's just mm-hmm. a, like, here's a director who managed to put all these pieces together. And like, like if, if it's just that, um, like I said, if there is no script and you just put this together on the fly, like that is kind of impressive to me. Because mm-hmm. this is well, definitely looked like a movie that has money behind it. Like we said, we have, it has all those logos. I like it, the the in a forty eight hour filmmaking kind of way. I would like to, if that's something that happened, like that is kind of cool. But I don't it, see that on the screen. It, I think, and again, like, but you hit on this this concept of it, which I appreciate. Is it's like you know the if if that ends up being the case it does make this even more masterful but i think more than likely like one of my things is again this script is weak but i think that the direction saves the movie and makes it worth worth examining but it's like one of those like but it, but i would understand for some people how that would be like a weak argument um and i but again like the movie doesn't really give you much leeway to find a middle middle ground you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it like it's not a this isn't a middle ground movie to my mind um because it's it's i think it's not trying to acquiesce to any particular audience it's either going to get it or you're not going to get it which i don't necessarily look at that in the realm of a joke like you alluded to but i do think that i agree with the, the idea and theory of just like well this is like a it's it's almost like insider baseball or something to that degree of just like, you're either going to get it or you're not. But um, regardless, I do think people should still check it out. I mean, I don't think it's worthless. I don't think it's dumb. Um, I think it's, I think it's so ambitious that that ambition overwhelms the project as a whole, but that doesn't mean that it's not uh, worth getting a glance at, especially and again, we were talking about Nicholas cage in it, but like he's the, the one uh, there's the weak part within cage is, is that we've seen this mode out of him so much that in a world where I've seen pig, it's, it's really just like, guys, we need to like stop pigeonholing this man. Um, and somebody out there needs to find a script as strong as pig to give to him and g- go f- kick him off further. Cause like, I'm not going to lie, Brad, Willie's Wonderland. Like the more I think about that movie, the more I'm like, I do not like this movie at all. Cause like you had a concept there to give him some dialogue and to like actually make that a fun experience. And instead you made choices that I, I appreciate that you made the choices, but it just doesn't work for me. Um, so like watching this, I was like, Oh, at least I got the Nicholas cage mode. I might've expected. Um, but again, in a world where we have pig, like it's tough to watch Nicolas Cage now without going like, man, you're so fucking good. Like we need to get you back into a, we, I don't know if we need to put you in a higher echelon necessarily. Like, cause you like doing these genre pictures, like where there's not an expectation hanging over your head. Like there's a franchise, but man, like you're, you deserve better material, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I enjoyed Willie's Winterland better, but it's definitely not going to end up in my top 10 for the year, but, uh, at least that movie, I understood like where we were trying to go with the story and the characters. This one is just like, oh yeah, yeah. Willie's Wonderland is very clear on its vision, so that's that's definitely it. it definitely has that in its corner. Yeah, this one, um, yeah. Like other than recognizing that it's part Fury Road, part uh, Escape from New York, like 
I, I, there was just nothing else to it to me. Um, mm. Yeah, I've read like there's that. I guess the brother of like, I think it's Sophia Batella's brother is like a samurai who works for the governor. Like he owes him. So. Um, oh no, uh, it's not her brother. It's the brother of another concubine and in uh, or not concubine um slave uh, slave yeah. Um, like he has probably the most interesting story, I guess, of the bunch. But uh, yeah, and like Nicholas Cage's character robbed that bank and tried to save everyone from his partner, but uh, um, there's no like. I don't know. Like, I just didn't understand how he felt remorse for all that. Like at a certain point he turns, but it's just like, it's almost like he fell in the dirt and woke up. And he's like, okay, I had a bad dream and I understand like what I did was wrong. Well, and he, part of it is also, he understands that the ghosts aren't there to haunt him. They're here to rescue him. But like, again, the concepts are so vague that I didn't even look at the runtime on the movie, but like, it felt like we could have had a little bit more even um, cause like even at 103 minutes, you're still needing to fully explain this world. And I'm like, I need a little bit more here. And we spent it like that whole governor explaining to he's when the governor explains basically the plot of escape from New York to Nicholas cage, like I was there going like <laughs> with the audience is way ahead of you, man. Like we know like what the suit and everything is going to do, like just get out of here. But uh, it's Bill Mosley, right? Yeah, it's Bill yeah. Mosley. And um, and like it's almost like the director was just like I don't want to cut any more of Bill than I have to because he's so magnetic. Just lean into this, like chew as much as possible. Like I'm not knocking Bill Mosley. I like I kind of feel like he was instructed to draw this out. But I was just like that whole scene I was just like you're wasting a lot of valuable time in this movie like explaining a plot that the I'm I'm pretty sure everyone in this audience is way ahead of you on. Yeah, um, it's but it but there's also an element of it from an exploitation realm where I'm just like you know they'll give them a, they'll give a bigger mo a bigger a, a, an actor heavy moments and give them a chance to shine where I'm just like uh, I'm I'm into this mode where I can play along here. Um, I agree that it's overdrawn, but maybe I maybe because I can be predisposed to this element of film, like I'm not finding it to be a huge detriment. Other than the fact that the script that follows is so devoid of clarification or trying to flesh things out, even if it's through visuals, you don't need to do it through uh, through dialogue beyond that. You can you can imply things further, but like certain moments felt like they were trying to too quickly get to the finale, but then delay it and then try to go quickly to the finale, but then delay it again. And I'm like, I think it you need to you need to find a better balance um i think is the problem and again we're talking about the script really like the direction and the actors they're all doing the job they need to do and they're doing it in spades but uh the the, the script is just is just very devoid of uh de devoid of a necessary element to kick it into a stratosphere beyond its supposed b-level roots you know yeah and everyone all the actors are committed like there was no one who was like, I felt like was just there to be there. Like everyone oh, yeah. no, leaned no, into no. all their characters, even like the, the extras. Oh yeah. Everybody. Like, they're they're having fun. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, still, but yeah. I, still, I still know what to what end. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. it's a film that'll get better with you with time. Who knows? But 
Um, oh, I'm not watching yeah. it again. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll pick it up on Blu-ray. But anyway, um, so Brad, what are we seeing next week? I think it's Venom, right? Oh, Corinne has a cash in the classics. Oh, should we play some catch in the classics with Corinne before we go? I think Corinne needs to get on here. Hey, nerds. Corinne here for part 39 of Catching the Classics, where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. This week, I watched Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, uh, it was okay. I wasn't, like, blown away by it. I like the first half better, where, you know, he's, like, getting introduced to the society um but then like the second half i'm like i guess i just don't know where this is going what the conflict is other than he loves her and she's dating this other guy and uh but yeah i like the whole sequence or just like the idea that you know he comes from this world of black white and gray and you know everything is like colorless in the castle on the hill and then he goes to the suburbs and everything is like super colorful, these like bright, you know, Easter colors. And even the fact that like his adoptive mom is a makeup saleswoman. And so she literally sells people color. It's like, that's perfect. Um, but yeah, after that, I was like, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> um, and damn, that ending, super grim. I know, like, the spoilers if you've never seen Edward Scissorhands, but I know the teenager was being a giant dick, but damn, like, Edward just stabbed him and then kind of pushed him back, and so he fell to his death? I'm like, look, he was being an asshole. I'm not saying he wasn't, but he was also still a kid. Like, he was 18 or 17. Like, he was in, he was still in high school. And then Edward just is like, nah, kill you. <sighs> don't drink and drive, kids. That's the moral of the story. Don't just don't drink, period. Don't don't be doing anything stupid. Oh man. Yeah. It, <laughs> of course, me being the pedantic asshole that I am, I see him like doing the whole like ice carving thing and how it goes from solid ice to these like flakes of beautiful snow and it's probably fake snow anyway but it was like I, I don't think you understand how ice works and also you know there at the very end of the movie when he's like carving the ice up at the castle on the hill it's like where did he get that ice from I thought everybody thought he was dead I'm confused uh, it was great to see Vincent Price again. I didn't realize he was in the movie until I saw the opening credits. I guess this was like what his last or second to last role before he died. Uh, yeah, Johnny Depp did a great job. This was clearly before he went like super weird. Um, thought it was actually pretty reined in for him. You know, he doesn't talk very much. Edward doesn't talk very much. Winona Ryder, she did okay i actually i forget who plays the mom but i thought she did a great job and man some of those haircuts i'm like y'all just don't have any kind of style or anything also what era was the movie supposed to be in because sometimes it looked like more 70s and then sometimes it looked more 50s just based on like the props and everything i guess it's supposed to be this kind of 
you know, idyllic little suburb or whatever, but I, I, I was, I guess I was feeling more like 70s, but anywho, I uh, wasn't like super impressed with it. Glad I got to see it at least once, but I don't anticipate going back to it anytime soon. So I would probably give it like three stars. So I don't know what I'm watching next time or when that will be, but uh, keep an ear out. Because part 40, I'll have to pick something hella cool. I was wanting to do super bad this time, but apparently it's not on Hulu anymore. So I had to improvise. So I hope you all are doing okay, nerds and everybody at home. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Well, Corinne, whatever you talked about, we loved it. We absolutely enjoyed it to the ends of the earth. I particularly like the part where you uh, explained that actor's history and uh, talked about what your history with it was and then uh, found a way to connect it to Ted Lasso. It just came in. She watched Halloween and hated it. So, Oh, thanks, Corinne. Um, I don't (laughs) agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, next week we're watching Venom, right? I think that's the release because... No time to die is the week after that. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they kept that in the sequel. (laughs) Uh, What if he did another song? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, I'd be surprised. Um, All right. So it's Venom. And then after that, it's No Time to Die. Yeah. Yeah. And then. uh, Yeah, we're in for a run of. blocky bus some of the best stuff so yeah halloween kills after james bond dune french dispatch last night in soho eternals ghostbusters afterlife we're all on deck so yeah exactly we all know that halloween we all know halloween kills is going to be the number one of that group but you know just uh, french dispatch i guess number one halloween kills number two no time to die number three oh i should also say that the one great part about uh, Prisoners of the Ghost Land is they had a French Dispatch trailer animated yeah. by Wes Anderson ahead of it. So it was awesome. I think it's the opening credit sequence. Um, because they had all the actors' names in it. I mean, I, I think it's still a trailer. I can't imagine that being the opening of the movie, but maybe I don't know. Wes Anderson, I don't, I don't that's know. what he wants. Place your bets. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was very exciting. Um. Uh, the person I went with, she got very excited. So, you know, like it's uh, I think it's going to be a fun season at the movies, my friend. And I think after all that, we'll have our film explosion in 2011. So get those lists right. together. Yeah, I actually dug. I, I think I still can dig up my 2011 list from the year itself, um, which I ended up doing a top 15. Um, we'll see what ended up uh getting booted out of that list i know one title in particular that's not going to make it back on the list so but. yeah this will be our first uh i guess our we'll be rebooting film explosion uh because we're going back to the very first one and finding out 10 years later if uh our opinions have changed or not so stay well tuned you, we that. had that we had 99 we had film explosion 99 um but that so. wasn't the first one we ever did it's not the oh yeah oh the first like in year one gotcha yeah, yeah the, the yeah. first the first time we conceived of film explosions was 2011 so we're mm-hmm. going back to the very original yeah list and <laughs> I mean I guess we were doing film explosions but they weren't branded as that back on Nebcast two years yeah. before that but 
is the first official the first the first official film explosion ever is 2011 and we're redoing it yeah it's like some people consider the ktmi seasons of mst3k to not fully be like the the full birth or whatever i don't know i don't even know if that's how mystery science theater fans see it because i like the ktmi stuff so yeah Um, i can't imagine anyone excluding any mystery science theater from the canon you shouldn't uh you shouldn't quite frankly regardless of broadcast yeah it's all amazing guys watch mst3k and hey join that mst3k dome thing when it comes out but anyway yeah um well brad another wonderful episode uh and to the listening audience out there until next time bye thank you for listening to this episode of real nerds podcast Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.